Hey everybody, it's Chad with I Want to Know. I'm here with my new friend, Michael Peterson. Um, I don't know. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? I'm good. I got your dog here at my feet. It's uh, awesome. I was going to tell everybody what you do. You're, you're a podcaster. Mm -hmm. uh, you manage radio stations. Well, yep. There's at least one. One in Calgary. Yeah. And uh, we met on Airdrie Dads, or maybe a couple of years before, when uh, perhaps I was selling a trailer or a property up there. Yeah, we were saying. Yeah, so it's been a little while. I moved to Airdrie about uh, five years ago. Nice. So, How do you love it? Uh, how do I love it? Hey, that's <laughs> one way to put it. Um, I do like it. Uh, I'm glad that I chose here over Calgary, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's a nice town. and It's got that small town feel, but it's not too small. Yeah, you where'd you mean? move from? Uh, Surrey. Oh, really? That's that where town. I grew up. There you go. I went to uh, Frank Hurt uh, Senior Secondary. That's where I graduated from. Oh, okay. And where'd you graduate from? Winnipeg. Oh, in Winnipeg. Oh, so you <laughs> moved there as an adult. I moved to the west end of Vancouver when I was uh, 21. Yeah. And by the time I was about 28, I finally saved enough money for a down payment. Yeah. And I made my way out of Vancouver like everybody. Nice. Bought a house. Beautiful. So ended up in Surrey and ended up liking it. Nice, yeah. No, I uh, spent most of my formative years in uh, Surrey. It's, oh. uh, it's a little bit of a rough place, so I went to high school there and then hung over at the bars for a few years oh, after, yeah. after high school. And then uh, I decided to uh, try out the Okanagan, Okanagan for a while, to live in Kelowna for a couple of years. Oh. And then I moved out here well, with my wife. It really depends on what part of Surrey you're in, because there's some yeah. beautiful parts as well. I was in Wally and Newton. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> that was where my first house was. Oh, beautiful, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's a rough neighborhood for sure. It can be, but I bought it thinking, well, you know, if I sit on it for 20 years, then uh, it'll likely boom and it'll become the next uh, city center for Surrey. And after like seven years, somebody got shot on the street and I was yeah. like, I'm going to sell. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I could tell a story. I won't tell what I was doing this night, but one of my party nights the first time, I will tell, the first time I tried LSD, <laughs> okay. uh, my, my friends took me for a walk around Wally and we got behind, uh, I think it was called the Flamingo, yep. uh, the Dirty Bird there, yep. that uh, I watched a guy get stabbed. You actually uh, saw it. I saw it. We walked up and there was a, wow. a big uh, audience around, uh, like a group of people around two guys. And so I kind of worked my way through to see what was going on. And just as I broke the crowd, one guy Ugh. just stabbed another guy and everyone screamed and scattered. Mm. And uh, I was freaking out because it was on acid. That doesn't, yeah, gee, man, it's a really uh, crazy experience. That uh, was my first trip. It doesn't sound like Wally at all. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. No, so, I've never seen someone get stabbed before. Did you uh, did you uh, run a radio station when you were in Surrey? Yeah, that's which, what I did. Which one? Uh, called Red FM. Oh, um, it's an ethnic it. radio station. Uh, it launched in 2005. Okay. And uh, I work for the same company now. I've been with them for about uh, 15 years. Yeah. So that's why I'm in Alberta, actually. They asked you to move out here? And they asked me to move, and I did. Nice. Yeah. So did you have wife, kids, all that at the time? Yeah, I had a one-year-old and a two-year-old. Nice. And, uh, well, nice, except for I didn't know anyone. I had no family, so that was tough. Right. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? yeah. No, a new guy in town. I Most of my life, I've been the new guy. So I went to 11 different schools before I got to grade 8. And then went wow. 8 to 12 at Frank Hurt. So I was always the new kid. And wow. I can't tell by looking at me now, but I was always the tiniest kid too. If you saw my kids, you'd understand. We were little people. Wow. And uh, so I went through a lot of bullying and, and stuff like that. And then had to deal with new people. And as an adult, it's pretty easy to move around and, and make new friends there. Yeah, yeah. cool. I'm sorry. And people that listen to your podcast know this, I'm sure. How long have you been in here before? 
I've been in Airdrie since 2004. Okay, so quite I a met, long time. Yeah, I met my wife in Calgary, and then I proposed right away. And uh, <laughs> talking about Surrey, I had a house in uh, Saddle Ridge, mm -hmm. and all within about a six-month span in Saddle Ridge, we had a prostitution ring get busted like four doors down. They were bringing in uh, Filipino girls and running. The guy across the street from me had to grow up, which was illegal back then, which we'll get into a little later on. Yeah. And then Hawks was constantly over our neighborhood. And wow. my wife was pregnant. She's like, we can't live here. And I'm like, okay, let's go start looking. And yeah. so we sold our house there. I think Saddle Ridge is getting better now. It's really expanded. Like the Northeast of Calgary in general is blowing up. In fact, I, I've been told that it's the fastest growing neighborhood in all of Canada. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And Airdrie used to be fastest growing city in all of sure. uh, Canada. Yeah, I uh, I actually quite enjoyed it out there. It just we happened to be on the street at a bad time, which turned out to be good for me because we moved out to um, Airdrie, and I love it out here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There are different variables, obviously, that had an effect on our decision to move to Airdrie, but um, part of it was price, bang for your buck with your house. For sure. Um, we liked the idea that it was kind of a lot of young families, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, super close to Calgary, blah blah blah. So it you know ended up working out and, and I like it. And now I go places I very casually go sh grocery shopping and I'll bump into somebody I see. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it is a little smaller. You go somewhere else, Genesis Center yeah. or Genesis Place I guess. Yeah. Um, you'll run into somebody. Yeah. You know, it's nice. I don't mind that. I actually quite enjoy that. It was sort of a thing that I always wanted in my life was to be in the town where I just run into people. And, you mm -hmm. know, it's like the the storybook town, and that's the way it is here. I've been here long enough that, you know, said Genesis or the superstore, I always run into somebody, have a yeah. conversation, go for coffee, do whatever, and then be back into regular uh, life. And you know, I wouldn't have thought that I would like that. Um, to be honest with you, yeah. living in the West End where you're basically anonymous yeah. for years and years. Moving to Surrey, it's also very huge. You're yeah. basically anonymous. You barely even talk to your neighbors. And then you come here and everybody says hi. You know, a bit cliche maybe, <laughs> but Albertans are a little bit nicer, I think. You know what? I That was the first thing I noticed when I moved out here. So I came from the Okanagan, which is a pretty friendly town, but lots mm. of tourists. And I live right down uh, town Calgary River, right across from the Stampede Grounds. And you go out to bars and stuff like that, and everybody was stopping to say hi to you and, mm -hmm. and have a conversation. I was like, wow, this is like the friendliest place ever. And the girls were super cute, cowboy boots and tight shirts and all that, but it was worth hanging out. Cowboy <laughs> boots and tight shirts. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, so here I was uh, uh, looking at, uh, I guess, creeping you on social media a little mm -hmm. bit. Sure. And you do a multicultural radio station. Yeah, that's right. It's primarily South Asian, uh, so Indian, India and surrounding countries. It's yeah. about 85% uh, of our overall programming, but throughout the course of the week we do 21 languages. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a busy place. So, the, like all the DJs, all the music, all everything is, is mostly Indian? That's that's where we monetize, you could say. Okay. Um, that's where we're able to sell commercials. Uh, the bulk of our full-time staff are Indian. Um, and then on weekends and evenings, that sort of thing, is when we have the other language, cultural community groups that come in and do programs. Very cool. So, yeah. Do you speak any languages? No. No? <laughs> Just English? You know, I lived in Japan um, after high school uh, for three and a half years, and I spent a lot of time, went to university there, and worked really hard at learning Japanese. Yeah. And when I came back here, and I realized that there wasn't a huge future for me speaking Japanese, and then I ended up working at a multicultural radio station, yeah. I kind of made a, a decision that 
I'm not going to put that kind of effort in anymore. Okay. You know what I mean? I've kind of done that. I worked really hard at it. I don't know. I don't want to learn a third language. <laughs> um, and, and to this day, I mean, it's been 20 years or plus since I lived in Japan. And I don't use it. So it's pretty hard to hang on to it. Yeah. And, and I think there's some people's brains are developed to to really learn new languages mm -hmm. and other people's aren't. Like you have to work at it to, you do. to be able to get it. But as an adult, it's not easy. Like if you want to learn a, a new language when you're 21 years old, um, you got to put the time in. Yeah. You know, you got to be reading flashcards every night. You got to be learning yeah. grammar. You got to be immersed in school. And, and you really want to go to the place and hang out with people speaking the language because it, doing it from here would be next to impossible. Yeah, I think so. To be to be fluent at it, we used right. to have a bunch of people coming over from Quebec. I had a business in Surrey, um, and my business partner was from um, Victoriaville in Quebec, and he would bring people over to uh, be our laborers, help us teach them the trade and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And they would do it specifically just so they could be better at English. So they yeah. English in school and university, and then they wanted to come over and just use it for real. So one of the obstacles I found uh, living there was that everyone wanted to corner me and take me out and speak English with me because they're like, oh, I can practice my English. So you had to make a real point of not hanging out with people that wanted to practice their English on you. You almost had to be rude about it. Like, <clears throat> if you speak English or broken English, and you're only taking me out because you're using me to practice your English, <laughs> if you're serious about studying Japanese, you can't do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just can't. It's got to be one of the harder languages to learn. Um, I think that um, the way I explain it to people is... Um, it's totally different. It's not like you, you go to France and you recognize a lot of words or um, the alphabet's almost identical, that sort of thing. Right. Um, it's completely different. It's black and white, but um, grammatically, it's a lot more sensible than English. Really? Like if you learn past tense, future tense, it applies to every word. Yeah. It's not like this word's that way because it comes from a Germanic source and this word, word's that way because it comes from Latin. Yeah. It, it's just not like that. With the exception of uh, foreign words that they've incorporated in the last few hundred years since people have come to Japan. Yeah. Like hamburg is hamburger. Okay. Right? So they just said, well, let's not invent a brand new word for hamburger. Yeah. Let's just pronounce it using our alphabet. Very cool. Essentially. Yeah. Someone was telling me that the English language is, is one of the most basic because it's always changing. Like people can just, and we see it all the time, right? There's basic? Maybe that's the wrong way to describe it. It's more that it's, it's fluent. Like you can almost... Speak the words any way you want, as long as they're close. You can put them in any order. You don't have to be gra grammatically correct all the time, and people are still going to understand what you're saying. And we adding new words all the time. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I mean, when you grow up with it, you don't even think about it. Maybe the guys listen to us stupid. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I always there's this thing in Japan though, like you, I, I made a point of studying vocabulary. Yeah. So I knew the word for thousands of things. Right, but sometimes I wasn't sure about the exact, the correct way to string the words together from a gr grammatical perspective. Yeah. So you go to the store, and instead of saying, um, uh, where is the bread located, you might be like, where bread store in? Because you're just like, I'm not mm -hmm. sure how, to, yeah. how that sentence flows properly. Yeah. And even though you might go, okay, where bread store, you might go, okay, I know what he's saying, right? They will look at you like, <laughs> try again, nope. buddy. <laughs> like, they, they won't even try to string it together. And you're like, come on, man. I know I'm close. I know I'm close. Nope. It, it's just, maybe it's cultural. Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, had, uh, I have a buddy, I've, uh, born and raised in China, and, and we were talking about, I worked in Vancouver's uh, Chinatown for quite a long time as a security guard. So I patrolled the streets. And one of the things that I noticed is they don't, they're not really spatially aware. Like they'll bump into you, they'll push you over. Like they 
won't look at you unless they're having a conversation with you. Mm. And like years later, I found out that he said that it's because it's rude to do that. It's, it's better to walk into somebody than to make eye contact with them and like, you know, let them know from your facial expression where you're going to go or direction where you're mm -hmm. going to go, mm -hmm. that they find that look, uh, rude to look at somebody. So same when they're driving. They don't want to look at the car next to them to see what's going on. They rather just signal and go. And mm -hmm. everyone, everyone's on the same page and they understand, so it's not rude or, but that's just part of their culture. But then again, that's the same, probably the same person who told me about English being an easy Yeah, maybe. But I think when you grow up in a place um, where you're dealing with different variables, like uh, in the case of China, uh, there's a billion people. So walking down the street at any given time, there's probably a lot of people on a city sidewalk. Yeah. Uh, lining up at, say, McDonald's, there's probably a lot of people lining up. So the way that you handle people would be different, I think, as well. I think I saw a video, and I can't remember if it was China or Japan, but they're loading the, the train at the end of the workday. Japan. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> like guys with broomsticks, and they're like smashing people. I've been on those, man. Yeah. Take awesome. a couple to the ribs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, Caucasians, uh, people of uh, European descent, tend to be a little bit meatier than your average Japanese person. <laughs> yeah. So it's not as bad for, say, you or I. Yeah. Because you're a little bigger anyway, you're stockier. So, yeah. But if you're a small person, really, small and you're there yeah you get squished pretty hard wow that seems crazy yeah it's definitely something i can mark off my bucket list yeah like you know i've been in one of those trains where they crammed you in with a device <laughs> and smashed the door closed that yeah. is insane yeah but, you know you got to do what you got to do and you have to move people you got to do this as quick as you can um yeah and i think that um space is an issue obviously but um, those trains, I think, could probably carry out even a lot more weight than that. It's just that they're only designed so big. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It probably it could probably carry twice the weight. I'm sure. Yeah. Have you heard about what Elon Musk is doing in um, uh, L.A.? Yes. Digging those things underground. He's going to transport people on some like magnetic pressurized yep. tube underground. It's crazy. Well, he said that um, scientifically, it doesn't make sense to try to create cars or things of that nature that can hover because the amount of air pressure required would make it uh, um, unlivable below them. Right? And the noise pollution that goes And noise pollution things. and the fuel needed and all that. So yeah. he said it's just way easier to dig. Yeah, yeah. It's cool, man. I'm, I'm so impressed with that guy. Like there's few people in the world that stand out where they're not just doing what everyone else does, right? And he's definitely one of those guys that's on his own plane and, and making up his own um, own way. Well, he's one of the greatest thinkers of our time. It's already been established. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he's got a space program. He started a car company. He's digging, digging tunnels under L.A. Like, doing things that one man couldn't do, even one project, most likely in a lifetime on their own. Right. You know, of course, he's got a team with him, but he's spearheading all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know? the solar panel, uh, roof panels. Well, that too. Going on, like... Um, what's the latest thing? He was talking about an interface between electronics and human beings that's going to launch soon too. And everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I'm in a hundred percent. Like if we can do this like the Matrix, and you just plug a tube into the back of my head, and I can be like a black belt in jujitsu and learn how to fix a helicopter, dude, I'm in. I'd say let someone else try that early on I and know. work out the kinks. Yeah, I trust Elon with my whole heart. Apparently, we're only months away from that, too. Yeah, no, I, you know what, I, I didn't grow up well-educated at all, didn't take any, um, put any value in education or reading or anything like that until I got older. And now I'm older, there's very limited time to gain information. So listening 
obviously podcasts are, are super beneficial yeah. because you can have one playing all the time in your ear, right? Well, I like to say that they allow your mind to be occupied while your body's busy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I'm mopping the floor, I have my headphones and I'm listening to a podcast. Yeah. If I'm driving, same thing. If I'm running, I, well, running might be music, but it's often podcasts as well. Yeah, I'm the same way. I, um, I get a little bit of flack from my friends for not reading as much as I probably should, but I'm like, I get twice as much information. Yeah, you're getting way more input and content yeah, than and they probably are. Not that I want to take away value from reading. There's obviously value in, in reading, but... Sure. Well, there's a reason why podcasts are doing well, and there's a reason why really intelligent people are making them on a regular basis, and people are listening to them. Yeah, exactly. Jordan Peterson talks about, uh, he thinks between podcasts and YouTube that will do away with universities. That they could do everything online and just have testing facilities as opposed to having, um, you know, the, the expense of running a large university. Well, love him or hate him, and I know there are people that do both. Um, I've listened to him speak, you know, combined, maybe 20 hours or something, and uh, that's more psychology content than I probably would have ever absorbed in the next decade. I know I couldn't read as much as that. I'm probably into that 100, 150 hours of listening to him. Wow. And to get the amount of time to read that. The nice thing is, during a podcast, there's something I don't understand or a word that I don't get. I just pause, read my dictionary, I look it up, yeah. do a little research, and then I'm right back into it, right? I think you have the ability to absorb more as well. Like, if you're driving, I drive to Calgary every day both ways. Yeah. So that's 40 minutes of driving at Same least, time. right? That's yeah. 40 minutes of podcast listening and I'm pretty particular about it. Yes, be doing what I do, we'll get into that in a minute, I listen to a lot of podcasts in that area, um, but I also listen to a lot of thinkers, yeah. uh, a lot of uh, really interesting people who have great ideas, and I think that you know it's easy for me to absorb 45 minutes of it. Um, now, sit me down with a book that that person wrote and tell me to read for 45 minutes straight, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I'd have the patience. I don't think I would either. Yeah, so, yeah I, I, I take it with a grain of salt when my friends are uh, making fun of me or teasing me for it because I know what I'm getting. You're ahead of the curve, man. I think so. Honestly. Um, but it's uh, still nice to hang out with well-read people and have conversations with them. 100%. I had a buddy once, just sorry, I'll, I'll tell you this real quick. He was a heavy, heavy, heavy-duty TV watcher. Yeah. Uh, he, he liked documentaries and stuff like that. Like he wasn't just into, you know, garbage, fluff. Yeah. But every time you talk to him, he would always have a point to make or something to say about something that I knew was on TV like last week. Like, that's all he had. <laughs> yeah. was if there was a documentary on, like, the lumber industry, I'd be like, I know I saw a commercial like that, like, three days ago. <laughs> okay, so you're caught up on that briefly. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd probably get people say the same thing about me. Oh, yeah? I have about half a dozen podcasts that I, I get pretty serious about listening to. Yeah. Um, what What are your, some of your favorites? Um, I'm a big Rogan fan. I think everybody is. Yeah. Um, let me see now. Uh, you know, I listen to a lot of the really mainstream, popular ones, and there's a reason why they're good, like the Tim Ferriss ones. I, I, I do... Um, I do pick through them though, and like I don't listen to everything all the time. In the case of Joe Rogan, I, do I don't too. always listen to all the hunters because I've heard a million hunting stories and bow yeah, hunting. Yeah. I'm like, I got it, yeah, right. And and sometimes he goes on and on about um, his dietary habits and things. I'm like, okay, I got it, you know. Um, his his theories and concepts about you know uh, laughing at flat earthers and stuff. I got it. You yeah. said it in like 900 podcasts already. Um, Tim Ferriss, same thing. I pick and choose. Um, there's a couple. There's one that uh, is a e-commerce um, podcast that I like called E-Com, okay. and the guy who produces it is out of uh, Toronto, and uh, it's a little rough from a technical perspective, but the content is strong. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
a lot of, I guess I'll jump into that, a lot of cannabis ones as well. Yeah. Canadian-based, American-based, uh, international. Um, I keep up the speed on those. And mm, what else now? You know, all the standards. Really, all the standards. I also like um, a couple of CBC ones. Uh, the name escapes me now. It's one about advertising. And uh, it'll come to me. Anyway, that one's really great, too. Well done. It's been produced since about 2012. I have a, a theory about flat earthers. Mm -hmm. I think they're all led by Joe Rogan. Led? He's like every second or third podcast, he brings up a flat earthers. Mm -hmm. So if you're a YouTuber or, or um, a podcaster or any social media at all, then you yeah. use your hashtags and stuff like that. Or whatever you mention, they'll follow the algorithm. And so he mentions it so often for someone who supposedly hates it. I think he owns <laughs> all the social media and he's making he's the money. He's secretly trying to drill it into people's heads. I think so, yeah. Well, like you could say that about a lot of stuff that he talks about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> how many intermittent fasting podcasts can you have? Um, a lot. Apparently a lot. <laughs> and I'm sold on that. I do it too. But yeah. I mean, I have, every time he gets onto that and they start going on and on and on. And all his guests now, they're like, hey, by the way, did you know that I also do it? Because they all know he does it. Like, okay, fast forward five minutes. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I'm sort of that way with some of the comics, too. When they get really loaded on the show, mm -hmm. I have a tough time. You know, he talks about being drunk or being high, like mm -hmm. being in a different realm. Mm -hmm. And and I believe that's what you're doing. Like sleeping, you're in a different realm. And dreaming, you're in a different realm. And uh, when people are in a different realm trying to communicate with you, it's difficult. Go to a bar and don't drink and see what happens. Most people are freaking annoying yeah yeah <laughs> I get I get tired I'm like I'm out of here and I'm, I'm I'm 44 years old so if I go to a bar and I don't drink I'm like seriously I'm bagged <laughs> yeah. let's go um two more I should mention um Dan Carlin's hardcore history I don't know if you oh, heard that one I have yeah uh the world war one uh story that he does is incredible yeah um I also like something called the Midas Report it's a guy oh. based out of Toronto he's got a few studios in um there's some really big podcasters out there he's got a few studios in North America his name is James uh West and uh, it's uh, a finance and investing podcast. Okay. And the reason why I like it is because he gets all the biggest players to come in and sit down with him. Yeah. He's super smart, but he's also goofy. Okay. So he jokes so with people and they all kind of get a kick out of him, yeah. but he knows his shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So It's brilliant when you can get both of those together, be entertaining and mm -hmm. educational. You learn that the more podcasts that you do, I think um, you refine your skill, you refine your performance. Yeah. And that's a big part of it. Not being nervous, not being like like regimented, yeah. just being able to chill out and have a conversation. I know. If you go back and listen to our first one, it sounds like everyone says the same thing. Dog shit. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> so ridiculous. I took like the first twenty-five of mine down. Yeah. Like, There's no point. I think this is episode like forty-two or something like okay. that, and so I'm not far enough along that I can take my first twenty-five down. But I I think I'll probably take the first five or ten the down. Not too. Thing long. is, and I don't think I have to tell you this. You just have to start. Yeah, if you're exactly. gonna, if you're thinking about doing this, don't worry about your mics being bad. Don't worry about your mixer. Um, don't worry about the fact that you don't have a good guest. Just start. Make right. one. Make the next one. Make the next one. Make the next one. The word will get out slowly. Your skills will get better. You'll slowly start to acquire better equipment. And by the time people really start to notice you, you'll be on like, you know, forty or whatever, exactly. and you're rolling. Yeah. Right. You can't roll from episode one. It's just impossible. I was listening to Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 Rules to Life and Antidote to um, Chaos right mm -hmm. now, and mm -hmm. he was talking about that. He goes, doesn't matter whether you're good or bad, just do something. So he was trying to separate failure from success. Yeah. And failure is just not doing anything. Yeah. And a lot of people think of success as just being good at something. But if you've already been good at it, 
then being good at it more doesn't make you good. Like you're not being challenged. Right. And uh, it was actually a friend of mine that I talked about the podcast for about a year and a half. And uh, my co-host Mark, who's sometimes here, mm-hmm. uh, he's like, "Are you gonna do it or are you not? Like, yeah. let's stop talking about it. Let's just do it." So I'm like, "All right, let's just start recording." And I found a place to upload them, and off you go. And they've been, I think, progressively getting better. I haven't got any flack from anybody yet, which sort of concerns me. <laughs> well, anybody who is successful at anything in life um, goes out and just starts and does it and claws away and puts yeah. the time in and it puts when I say time I mean they, they put years into it oftentimes no, most people are not overnight successes yeah. and if you know um, like Will Smith is all over YouTube with these videos about like just get out there and do it and right. you know if you don't do it no one will and and it's all truth you know yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger has these videos too he's like you have to do it you have to be willing to <laughs> fail you have to and it's true yes you have to do it and you know uh, my definition of success and it's totally cliche and you can roll your eyes it's just being happy. Like if, if you like to do this, um, and you're intrigued by it, and every time you do it, you want to get better and you want to, you know, grow. Then you're successful already. Like yeah. if you can pay your bills and your children have food on the table, and you like to do this, this is your thing, and it makes you happy. Then, yeah, grow from here. But don't think that for any reason you haven't made it yet. You have. You you've right. got this going on. It's awesome. Yeah, I think that um, for me, success is being uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. I think if I was sitting in front of the TV, totally comfortable with everything that went on in my day, I would probably be severely depressed. Bored. Bored, depressed, angry, all those things. But I have so much going on between the company that I manage, doing the podcast, a couple other things that Mm -hmm. I have on the go, that I'm always working on something. And it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to know that you have to get a podcast out every week. You have to find a guest. You you know, uh, I have lots of friends that have backed me up when someone bailed on me. I just call someone else up and like my wife or a good friend and they'll always come in and fill yeah. the gap for us, which is fantastic. I think that um, for me too, I mean, I think I have undiagnosed ADD as an adult. <laughs> and, and I think that always being busy all the time, because I right now I produce um, a minimum of two podcasts per week. Wow. And, and I do all the social media, I do everything, and uh, it keeps me super. Right. And then I still got my kids, and I still right. got my wife, and I still got my job, and I still I run and I work out and all that. Um, but because of all of that, because yeah. I manage it, it keeps me super motivated. It keeps me happy. I, I like couldn't agree more. That yeah. I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. That uh, you know, people. I like martial arts, and all the guys that did martial arts with all say, "Hey, dude, why don't you train? Why don't you do this?" I'm like, eh, "I don't have time." But I have time to go train with my daughter and go running, or I have yeah. time to go play basketball with my son. I'm getting the same thing. I'm getting exercise in, but I'm not getting uh, the jiu-jitsu or the kickboxing in that I want to get to. So you just make mm. those little adjustments, but I make sure that I get everything in every week. Good for you. Yeah. I'd be curious about your schedule. Like, what, what time do you wake up? And, uh, do you have, like, a pattern? I, d- I do for the most part. So uh, the kids stuff is all programmed. So, you know, three days a week is track. So on Saturdays, I typically get with my daughter and go work out at Genesis. Um, Tuesday, well, let's start the end of the week. Monday, I get up at five o'clock. Um, we get home, we have a new family exercise program. So after work, school, we get into it and go downstairs and, and do a workout. Whole family? Uh, my wife not so much right now. Uh, she usually takes a couple weeks and then she'll jump on board with us. Okay. But uh, right now it's just uh, getting my kids motivated to strengthen their bodies. So we just set yeah. up a really simple program. So we do three sets. If they do it for 42 days in a row, they get a new video game or a new electronic. You said 42 days? 42 days, okay. yeah. 
Um, and then we'll develop another one. And this is brand new for us. But before wow. it was uh, track, Genesis plays basketball, yeah. running, hiking, walking, all that kind of stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, my, I, get, I get up at 5. I usually go to bed 10 or 11 and uh, try to squeeze in everything I possibly can. 10 or 11, 5. Well, that's okay. Six hours. Yeah. Seven hours. Probably seven hours is most likely what I'm going to do uh, for sleeping at night. Yeah. That's pretty good. You know, watch the tracks. Oh, good for you. I'm exhausted, and I can take a break and take a day off. Yeah, occasionally. I came home yesterday, and I was tired, and I think by 7 o'clock I was in bed for the night. (laughs) It's rare, but I just had a bad sleep the night before, and I was busy, and I just came home when I was tired, you know? Yeah. I'm all about the early early rising. That's my thing. Yeah. I think that uh, once you are able to incorporate early rising into your life, everything is different and better. You know what? I couldn't agree with you more, but I don't know why. So when you get up in the morning, you get started, it, there, there's something different. Your day feels it's better. It's the best time of the day. Yeah. Especially in my case, this can sound selfish, but um, if the rest of your family is still sleeping. Right. <sighs> so for me, and I used to get up at five, from five to seven was my time. And it was all editing and recording and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then I watched, there's this YouTube guy named Casey Nyson, I think his name is. Um, he's got like 100,000 followers. I mean, he's, he's wow. huge anyway. And he went through one episode and told him about his day. And he's like, well, I actually woke up at 4.45 because I want to get my coffee on and yeah. be sitting by 5. I don't want to get up at 5 yeah. and then by like 5.30, I'm still like powering up my computer. Yeah. Um, so he does 4.45. I was like, okay, 4.45. He's right. Wow. I want to get up, put the coffee on, get my computer logged in, grab my coffee, be downstairs, 5 o'clock on the Beautiful. You know, you know uh, Joppa Willink is? Yeah. Same thing. Every morning, takes a picture of his watch. Like four a.m. or something. Yeah, he works out at like four. Uh, no, I uh, I don't have that kind of energy that he does, and I don't know if he has a family or what he does. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that that's a bit. Uh, I can tell you the secret. You yeah. want to know the secret? I do. Okay, I'll keep this with you. This will change your life. Okay. The secret to waking up in the morning yeah. is going to bed at night. <laughs> and if you go to bed at eleven, it's pretty hard to get up at like four or something. Yeah, it's it's well, for me anyway. It's not enough time. I could I could change that for sure, but I usually try to do. Uh, Gary V talks about this, and the owner of um, East Coast Lifestyles, mm-hmm. yeah, East Coast Lifestyles talks about it. That their nighttime is really for searching out people to partner with online. So like I go after sponsorships or yeah. educate myself. So you know I'll go to bed at like say nine o'clock or nine thirty. But I'm researching, I'm reading, I'm, I'm researching. Yeah. <laughs> researching. Researching on Facebook. Girl, uh, <laughs> also, yeah. What did that guy say? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, and we haven't gotten too much into podcasting yet, but it's taken up such a big part of my life that um, I've literally had to factor it into my schedule and be realistic about how much time I have for it, yeah. how much time I need to build the business. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, everything else that's realistically more important to me than anything like which is my family but um for a while it was like you know get the five to seven and then it's kids and then it's work and then it's home dinner and then it's put the kids down and it's right back to work but i realized it's not fair to my wife (laughs) right so and and i want more time in the day but also i'm not gary vaynerchuk i can't work 20 hours a day Um, and you got to do what works for you so i'm not as militant at night once yeah. the kids go down, if my wife wants to hang, I'm cool, and I realize it's important. Yeah. However, if she wants to watch TV, I'm like, okay, I'm in my studio, like instantly. <laughs> exactly. I've actually, my wife is really well educated in 
health and fitness and diet yeah. and so it's holistic nutritionist. I'm trying to talk currently doing a podcast, so we'll add a second one to the business and, and start growing that one as well. Well, you got the setup, so. I do, right? I could do as many as I wanted, and, and she's been quite popular. The twice she's been on my podcast, she's got the most views. So, oh, um, yeah. She, people she are checking her out, eh? People are, and they like what she has to say <laughs> and, and uh, um, how she presents it. So yeah. I'm super excited about producing something for her. Cool. But I do want to ask you, because you've yeah. been in the business a lot longer, about building the business and going right. after sponsorship. And so you were talking Let's before the podcast about mm-hmm. a couple of different models. So I'd like to yeah. hear about those. Well... Let me start off, let me give you my story because um, I think that'll make it make better sense. Um, because, uh, you know, I know my way. You know, I don't know a multitude of models, but yeah. I know what I've tried and what I'm currently doing, and it's it seems to be slowly working, right? Um, I was in BC uh, a couple of Christmases ago. My brother-in-law was going on and on and on about investing in cannabis stocks. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, really, really? I was like, okay, I guess I'll check it out. So flew back to Alberta after Christmas, and I did a little research, and I was just like, whoa, it's an overwhelming mountain of information. It was yeah. like impossible to even figure anything out. Yeah. Um, so I naturally looked for some podcasts. I was like, what have we got here? Okay, I've got like three podcasts that the guys are all like stoners, <laughs> which is, there's no real real intellectual content for me. Yeah. Um, there's a couple that were decent, but they weren't running anymore. Um, there was another one uh, out of the West Coast, and he has this kind of cannabis slash conspiracy thing. And so I'm trying to learn a bit from it, but it's also a conspiracy podcast. Um, so I thought, well, I have a background as a broadcast producer. Yeah. You know, I, I have a studio at home, microphones. I know how to record. I know how to edit. I know how to be on air. Um, why don't I just make one that I would make for me? Right. right? So initially, I thought, well, I'll start researching, and once a week, I will do a monologue where I take what I think are the most interesting news stories uh, in the business of cannabis for people who are interested in investing, yeah. and I will summarize them and read them in like five or ten minute segments. Yeah. Right. So I did like 25 episodes of that. Wow. And um, I, I would say slowly but surely I got a bit better, and also my knowledge of the business got better because every week I was reading... 20 articles and I would decide to summarize eight of them or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but what I realized was that <clears throat> if you're going to sit there and do a monologue for an extended period of time, it's dry. <laughs> it's pretty hard to put a lot of life into it. I think there's few people that are good at it, but yeah, it's difficult. It's not that easy, Yeah. right? So um, I was speaking to somebody else and they said, well, really, the best ones always have like an interview. Just yeah. interview people. So I, I decided around episode 25, I was like, okay. Now I'm starting to find people on Twitter. I'm starting to find get, get into the, the echo chamber of all the people that are in the cannabis business. Why don't I start to reach out and see? So I had the scientist out of Vancouver. I said, sure, yeah, I'll go on, no problem. I'll, I'll tell you what this thing called terpenes are, uh, which are essential oils of plants, but in the cannabis plant, there's also terpenes, and, and some companies are making money that way. Okay. So I brought him on, I asked him a lot of super elementary questions, and it did well. I was like, wait a minute, I think I've got to change this around a bit here. Yeah. So then I reached out to someone else, someone else, and someone else, and before I knew it, uh, it started to turn a bit. Now people are starting to go, hey, I heard you do the podcast. Would you mind interviewing us? Right? Slowly started building that way. Yeah. Um, and that was fine. And, and you know, I got into this thinking originally, I don't need to monetize. Right. I own my own gear. I do it on my own time. i got no expenses. There's no reason why I can't do this. And I've got the time of day. Like I can get up in the morning and do it yeah. before the kids are up, and it's fine. Um, so I was growing that way and slowly getting a bit of a reputation, slowly networking, 
slowly getting better guests all the time. Yeah. And then so I sorry, about how long has this been from beginning to when you're starting to see the change? So January, literally January 2018, wow. I, January 1st, I launched my first one intentionally. Yeah. Um, by about summertime, things started to change. Wow. But I was doing, I started off one a week and then I bumped it up to two a week. Yeah. Um, and by summertime, I was probably on episode like 40 or something. Cool. Right, and that's when I started interviewing people. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, okay, well, since I am doing this, and since I'm slowly getting better, and people are starting to reach out to me, how can I monetize my podcast? Yeah, yeah. Right. And how can I do it now? So before October 17th, before recreational cannabis became legal in Canada, it was kind of like the Wild West. Right. You could have anybody on talking about anything you wanted, any company. They could talk about their products, what they anticipated would hit the market, why they thought you should invest in them, all that stuff. And I was still always kind of leaning towards the investment stuff. Yeah. Um, however, once October 17th hit, then all the what's called the Cannabis Act, the laws that pertain to the cannabis framework kicked in. Yeah. And they have very strict restrictions against any type of cannabis-related advertising. Okay. okay. So yeah. in order to uh, make money, you can't really approach people and say, hey, Tell me about the products that you are distributing in Canada, legally, of course, um, and I'll put you on a podcast and you can pay me. You can't do that. It's illegal. That's advertising. Okay. So it became wherein I could have these people on, these companies. Uh, I can talk to them about their business, uh, about what their projections are, um, but I can't ask for anything. Yeah. So what I found out over time was that I could reach out to ancillary businesses. So people that aren't selling cannabis, but they're loosely affiliated with the cannabis business, the legal cannabis framework, we like to say. Okay. So companies that say do work in the background, they help them with IT or they do like recruitment for jobs or like yeah. they're affiliated, but they're not cannabis companies. Right. And uh, I approached them and said, hey, why don't you sponsor me this way? And some of them might look at your analytics and go, like I'm, before, mm, I'd say by about January 1st this year, it's only about 2,000 plays per podcast. So it was nice. Um, but I started something new in January this year. It had effect on my plays. I'll get to that in a second. And that's yeah. kind of my framework. Um, so what I would say to these companies is, look, I'm not, I'm not getting a million plays like Joe Rogan. You know, I can't promise you that. Uh, but what I can do is I can charge you a lower rate, and I'll, and I'll do a 10-second uh, announcement before my podcasts, and we'll have a relationship wherein if you're working with companies and you would like to introduce them to me so that I can interview them, I would be open to your referrals. Yeah. If that makes sense, like wink, wink. Yeah. Right? So, and that's what we do. Cool. So they'll pay me for their own advertisement and then they'll say, hey, we have this company and they would like it to talk about their product. And I say, sure. So there's no money exchange. It's all legal. It's all above the board. Yeah. Um, they're happy, I'm happy, and it works. It's kind of like the, the system I have right now. Cool. Um, but one of the things that I found out, like last year, as you know, lots of people do podcasts. Yeah. Right? And uh, I, when I started off, I was probably one of three in Canada that were actually wow. rolling. I would say rolling regularly enough to be a consistent podcast with, with like uh, intellectual content, not just stoner stuff, people smoking bombs, <laughs> right? Um, and by October 17th, there was probably like, 12 or 15, right? Yeah, so still a fairly um, low number. Still fairly low, but it's a pretty specific genre, right? Right. Um, and I, I've never really looked at any of them as being competitors. Yeah. Um, I feel like I have my own niche within that sort of group, and they have theirs. And I always feel like I'm a one-man show. I have my own studio, I do everything, right? Yeah. So and I don't have expenses. 
So I figured, well, lots of them will shake off over time because they won't be able to get all five of them together all the time or they'll have to wait on their producer to do all their editing and that'll back them up and or they won't be able to afford the studio time, all that. So the thing is, a lot of them have, a lot of them that I was listening to and I subscribed to like 20, um, in, including the US, they're not bad. Like the content's pretty good, they're smart people, um, they're technically not bad, but everybody's kind of clawing for the same group. We're all like, you know, listen to mine, listen to mine, listen to mine. And they're all variations of the same thing. And many times they're interviewing the same people and all that kind of stuff. So I approached, um, I started a collective in January this year. Yeah. And I approached eight different podcasters in Canada. And I said, look, instead of us all competing and, and publishing on the same day and then people get split between yours and mine, why don't we all publish together, yeah. right, under one name? And we call it the uh, Canadian Cannabis, uh, no, sorry, Cannabis Media Collective. I'm forgetting my own company name. <laughs> and um, you just switched. So you, you can, yeah, I just switched. You can have, um, you can be published under that. Yeah. All you have to do is subscribe to the one thing, and every single day, the person who subscribes will get a different podcast from the collective. Right. Does cool. that make sense? Yeah. And this way, we're not fighting each other. Yeah. And we can space it out. Tuesday will be me. Wednesday will be you. You know what I mean? And yeah. we'll always be at the top of their subscription list and all that stuff, all the benefits, right? Yeah. We won't sell advertisements um, for you. You sell your own. Your content is still your own. You can leave at any time and we'll pull it all out of the collective. Yeah. Um, but we'll publish together. You can still publish in your own place. Yeah. You can still have your own business dealings. Um, we're just helping each other. That's like very it's creating cool. a synergy. And it actually is working really well. But um, I had to change all my social media names over. Yeah. Right? Because my podcast is called Canadian Cannabis Update, yeah. right? And um, I describe it as I give leaders and organizations um, the ability to tell their stories and share information. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. I ask some questions, I set them up, I throw them softballs, and they give me information, yeah. right? Um, I, lost, I lost my train of thought now. Um, my point was, um, so I, everything that I had was Canadian Cannabis Update, yeah. okay? And when I changed it over to the Cannabis Media Collective, I had to change my SoundCloud account. I had to change, I have uh, Libsyn. I had to change Twitter. I had to change Facebook. I had to change Instagram, right? And I actually experienced a drop off when I changed everything. Yeah. And I think people were confused a little bit. Yeah. So I'm building it back up again. Cool. If that makes sense. And that's why I said, you know, Christmas time, I was getting 2,000 plays, and now I've dropped down a bit, but it's coming around again. Yeah. And people are getting the idea. And I think in the long run, it'll be a good move. Yeah. So a lot of people. Um, it's really cool what you're doing, but a lot of people are just trying to sell advertisements on their podcasts. And what I understand it is, is sitting at about um, uh, $25 per thousand, point, 25 to $40 per thousand views is mm -hmm. what the average going rate is. And of course, there's product But where do you get that data from? Just like Facebook groups? Uh, I did a little research online. There was a couple of marketing companies that had posted the similar things saying yeah. that that's what people were selling podcast time for. There was some, uh, we upload on Anchor FM. Mm -hmm. um, they had put out some articles on that. And then... Um, Here's what you're worth. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. And like Anchor's looking at, uh, so right now down in the States, if you produce content, they'll pay you sort of like a YouTube thing. Okay. Uh, they're looking at doing it in Canada. Just right bought away. by uh, Spotify, by the way, hey? They were bought by Spotify? Yeah, like last oh, week. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, cool, except for there's a possibility they could pull their content off of iTunes. I'm not sure. Okay. We'll so have to wait and see how it goes. Yeah, be right aware now, of that. I'm, I'm uploaded on nine different dis There's Spotify, Anchor FM, uh, Google Play, iTunes, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. 
Uh, there's a few others, I can't remember what they are, but... Uh, you ever Google your own podcast and you find it on very random streaming websites? You're like, I've never even heard of this one and they've got all my podcasts. So, no, I haven't. <laughs> you should try I, it sometime. I'm going to try it, but Anchor tells me that the ones that they put on. So, I believe there's nine in total that they upload okay. to. So, eventually, they'll bring that into Canada like YouTube and they'll pay us for our content. And I'm yeah. guessing it's going to be a very minimal amount. You have to have hundreds of thousands of views to get it. Yeah. Or you can work it at building your own sponsorship. So, I have a sponsor um already that's going to i have to do the commercial for it still but it'll get uploaded to this one it's cool. a local company that's uh helping us out mm -hmm. chiropractic company i'll give it right now just your health north in calgary nice yeah dr james mcintyre and his crew they're fantastic um your back's very straight looking by the way yeah he's uh honestly i could tell such a story about how he's like, kept my body. i've had like 15 car accidents i broke my oh, back man. twice uh, like crazy youth, but anyways, yeah. I, I won't get into the commercial no, right now, but um, yeah, and then we're, we're going actively going after a couple other people, and um, if we can get $25 an episode from six people, yeah. you know, that's a, a good Pays your start. basic bills. That's it, and you yeah. know, helps us, I dump it all back into advertising. You have to be realistic. Right? Me too. I, I have a good job. Um, yeah. I, if I could get paid to do this full time, I'd do it full time. Wouldn't that be the bomb? Yeah. That's, what, <laughs> that's what the end result is. Actually, I'll tell you what the real end result is. Yeah. I'm going to sell my house one day, and I'm going to move down to Belize, and I'm going to build a little hut down there. Yeah. That little hut's going to have three other little huts. And everyone wants to do my podcast, we'll fly down to Belize. Wow. I'll put them up in their hut. We'll do, you know, a couple of days of hanging out until the next podcaster gets there. Mm -hmm. And uh, our, our sponsorship will pay for it. You can record anywhere. Reach for the sky, man. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> what I truly believe. So uh, everything that I've gone after, I've eventually got. Now, yeah. I don't know if it's going to be 50 years or five years, but either way, well, we'll, like we we'll say, keep plugging away. Put the effort in and the time in. Right, and and you have to be you have to be flexible. You have to be willing to change. Yeah. Um. And and you know it, it eventually, hopefully, we'll all find success doing this. I don't yeah. I don't think that podcasts are going anywhere. I don't think in so. In the near future. The the encouraging part is I've had a few guests on celebrity guests. Um, uh, Ryan McMahon, who's not a huge Canadian celebrity, but he's Canadian. Um, uh, Robin Black. Um, they're all linking me up with some other people to come on the, the yeah. podcast yeah. as well. And they all said it was their favorite interview. Uh -huh. um, so that that's exciting for me to hear that. These people are on CBS and you know, TSN. Now, how did you interview them live? No, on the phone? No, at my house. I, oh, I won't no. do a phone interview. I'm, uh, I'm firmly set against the phone interview. See, I have to. Because most of the people I talk to are all over Canada, right. on diff in different time zones. Sorry, no, it's all um, good. You know, sometimes I get um, CEOs and they have like a slot on a Tuesday, and they're like, "We can just do that." Yeah. And if I can't do it on the phone, then I can't do it. And I'm right now standing firm against it because <laughs> I'll I'll travel or I'll um, most people come here. Um, which has worked out really good for me so far. Don't put limitations on yourself. I know. Necessarily. I'll, I'll tell you the reason why, though. Mm -hmm. That having this face-to-face -face conversation, I think, is so much more valuable. Yeah. Where, you know, we hadn't really met each other before tonight. Yeah. But I can have a really good conversation with you right now yeah. because we're face-to-face. -face. We're on a phone. It's a little weird. And how do you get, you know, the timing down? Yeah. When I can, I can see your facial expressions and your body movement and... And I can respond based on that. But yeah. over a phone, I think you lose a bunch of that stuff. You do. I'm doing more Skype these days, too. The only problem, uh, there's two problems I have with Skype and, and video online. Um, 
One is that you never know what the other person's internet connection is like. Right. Uh, I've got Shaw 600 now. I feel like I'm pretty good with yeah. anybody. <laughs> um, I interviewed somebody out of Vancouver um, a month ago, and that was a Skype video. And uh, he was very, there's a lot of latency, and I'm pretty okay. sure it's his side. I'm like, okay, well, I can't help that. I can't fix that, right. especially when you're live, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing that I don't like about the online video is um, they usually have like a compression uh, programmed or a compression algorithm built into it. So if, if you're in the middle of a sentence and I simply go, mm -hmm, your voice just goes, drops right down for like a second or two. Oh. So I have to really time my mm -hmm and my yeses. <laughs> I can't do it in the middle of your sentence because the second I go, mm -hmm, you drop right out for like a second. Weird. I had yeah. no idea. And it's, they're trying to make it good, convenient for you so that you can hear each other. But when you're doing a podcast, you just want to say, mm-hmm, in the middle of their sentence. You don't want them to cut out for a second. Right. And that happens with Skype. It's almost like the uh, radio, um, the CB radios were like that. If one person was talking, the other one could Yeah, talk. it's pretty much it. You, yeah. So, yeah, you can't both talk at the same time. And um, it's a different kind of challenge for, in a conversation. Yeah. You know. So do you, uh, I want to go back to the, uh, the models. Do you know of any other... Um, model for podcasting. So you've got yours. Uh, I think the most common one is probably the getting paid by your sponsors that you bring in. Yeah. There's YouTube that pays you and, and um, Vimeo and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Those are, you have to have a lot, a lot of views to make decent off of That would be ideal. You know, yeah. the people that are killing it on YouTube are making big coin. I, I saw something the other day. I think it was like, um, if you get like 60,000 subscriptions, or maybe it was more. Uh, you can make about 5,000 bucks a month on YouTube. And that's starting to, okay, I can probably quit my job and at least start building from here. Yeah. You know? Well, at the very least, if you made $1,000 a month off of whatever you were doing, mm -hmm. you put that into advertising, it wouldn't take long to grow. Yeah. Be smart with your social media, maybe even hire you got to roll it all back over. And oh, for sure. Now what I'm starting to do, like I'm getting some good guests, yeah. guests that... Um, you know, I wouldn't have imagined would say yes to me before. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, CEOs of, of multi-million dollar, billion dollar companies, yeah. uh, because yeah, I think that they recognize that it's a professional, safe place yeah. to talk about it's what they not do. Not a bunch of stoners. It takes time, yeah, and it takes yeah. time to build that, right? Yeah. Um, so now, when I have, and I hate to say this, because originally I was like, I'll take anyone who can come, and I'll and I'll just talk about what they do and how you know uh, reflects in the business of legal cannabis and all that. And now when people reach out, I go, okay, I don't know that my listeners will be that interested. You know, I had a guy who's an insurance broker uh, out of Ontario like two weeks, two weeks ago. And he reached out to me on Instagram and said, hey, I, you know, I'm getting into the cannabis business. Can you put me on? I'd love to talk about doing insurance and cannabis. And I said, I can, except for it's going to be 200 bucks. And I didn't want to be a jerk about it. But I don't think my listeners are going to be that interested. Yeah. And I know he just wants to do it because he wants to promote himself. And I thought, well, if you're going to pay for advertising on a, on a bus or something, yeah. and I'm essentially giving you a product that you can use to spin off on your own social media streams, yeah. um, you should probably pay me for it. I like that. You know, that, that, that that's not sense. everyone, though. Yeah. Those are the people that are clearly coming after you because they want to get a podcast so they can share it and help promote themselves. Yeah. You know, but when it's a big company, I firmly believe them for free because yeah. the listeners will listen to the big people right exactly right give them for free you just want the opportunity to get those guys I uh, I got to meet the owner of Aurora um, I don't know I want to say last summer is when it was really mm -hmm. when we we're just started the podcast and uh, his main manager I only got to talk to the owner for a couple of minutes yeah um, main manager 
do my work. I can't say what we're doing, but we're doing a little bit of work for them. And they, uh, they make you sign like 10 documents just to get on the sure. property. It's sure. crazy. And uh, Was that at Aurora Sky over by the Edmonton Airport? No, it was closer to Calgary. The one by Crossfield? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And uh, so I asked his manager, who I got to be pretty good friends with, I'm like, hey, could I get one of you guys to come on a podcast and just talk about Because it was right before legalization mm -hmm. would come in. And, and he goes, you know what? That, that's so much hassle to get him to say anything that they're bored won't even let him talk to people. Yep. They have to assign somebody to do it. And I was yep. like, oh, how crazy is that? Your own company, you can't even get out. And probably one of the most exciting times for your industry. Like, yeah. This guy was a pioneer in Canada. He had done more work and taken more risks than I think yeah. most people in the industry. You know, he was originally an electrician, actually. I didn't know Yeah, that. but you know what? Aurora has a gentleman by the name of Cam Batley. Um, he is very well-spoken, very knowledgeable. He is a professional spokesperson. Okay. And if you want anybody from Aurora, he's the guy. Like, he, that's all he does. Yeah. He is a spokesperson on behalf of a multi-billion dollar company. Right. Um, and basically, they'll shut all doors on you, except for Cam Valley. Yeah. Um, you can get some lower VPs and stuff, you know, VP of finance or, you know, maybe a, a head manager of a particular facility and things, but you won't really get, like, the top couple of players. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, They're very careful. I don't want to, I don't want to misdirect who he is a person, but he seemed a little bit redneck cowboy, the, uh, the owner there. Yeah. And uh, I'm guessing that he's not as clean spoken as what the company wants. He may not be as refined, but he's still boss. And you know, I mean, he, I've seen him speak plenty of times, and uh, he seems like a genuine person. That's what I, I will so. say about him, though. Yeah. You know, most of the CEOs of the there's three or four big, big cannabis producers in Canada. And uh, there's a couple of uh, media outlets that they will speak at, and I've seen them, and, and they seem cool. Yeah. You know, I'm still working my way up to a couple of like the biggest players for sure. Cool, cool. You know, not there yet though, but hopefully. So why why cannabis? Is it just because of the the podcast that there wasn't a lot of people doing it, or what was the reason? Investing originally. Yeah. Right. I like I don't consider myself a cannabis guy. Yeah. But um, investing originally was it. I wanted to learn more, and I realized that. A podcast that talked about the business of cannabis um, might have a place and and th it's not very often that a brand new industry starts from nothing a brand new <laughs> legal multi-billion dollar industry starts from scratch right, right. and when you look and is are there any podcasts yet not one or, or one kind of iffy one that's pretty I was awesome. like jump in quick and be the first guy yeah you know and that's that's, that's why but you know one thing I've learned and we talked about different business models um, Right now, I'm certainly labeled as the cannabis podcast guy, and I'm okay with that, you know. Um, but what I realized from it is uh, I'm a podcast guy. Right. And cannabis just happens to be the first topic, the first subject that I got in on it with, Yeah. right? Um, but I've already got ideas for two new ones that I'm starting this year. And my company, which is called Distinct Media, yeah. it's, it's a brand um, association company. Like, I help brands um, get recognized through podcasts essentially cool. and through different podcast ideas that I have and also collectives. I realized the collective might actually be a larger business model for me than just doing cannabis stuff. Right. You know, I started with the cannabis group, made the collective. I'm like, this is working, right? right? So why not make a collective of running podcasts? Why not make a collective of, you know, whatever other popular podcasts? Cause a lot of these running ones, and I'm a runner, so I listen to them. Um, they're good. They're good runners. They're ultra marathoners. They get great, great guests. Yeah. Um, but they struggle. Yeah. Same idea. 
Ian Iman here in Erinfield just started a running podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. I had him on a couple months ago. And yeah. Super awesome guy. Crazy runner. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I run a lot and that guy blows me out of the water. Well, he ran from like northern Alberta down to uh, mm-hmm. southern Alberta. So yeah, he, he's, he's a crazy dude. I think anyone that runs that much or is an ultra marathon has a little bit of crazy get <laughs> out. Well. Um, I'm not sure how healthy it is after a while. Yeah. You know, running for an hour straight, I think, is, is a good challenge. Running for four hours straight, like three, four times a week, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Um, although that guy's like the wind compared to me. But he's a perfect example, okay? He has a good podcast. He's yeah. super knowledgeable. He's getting good guests. The technical quality is not bad. Yeah. Now, if he was in a group of 10 run podcasts and they published together, it's more likely that they'll have success drawing more people. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, no, I like that model uh, a whole bunch. Um, is it um, NYC is the organization that brings podcasts together? Like they have a large studio. It's a little bit different than your model, but they yep. they basically have I don't know a couple hundred podcasts out of that their, their yeah. studio. There. Is that what your end goal is? Try to bring a bunch of people together? Um, yeah, well, I'm, I, again, I'm not afraid to talk about it. I have an abundance mentality. I feel like the world yeah. has six, seven billion people. There can be a few companies like me that do it. Um, but uh, no, I, I have certain interests, okay? So I'm a very dedicated runner. And I, and I recognize that running is an industry that could use a collective for podcasts. Yeah. Um, the other thing is there's no restrictions on advertising like I have for cannabis. That's pretty tough, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and right now for the cannabis collective, um, we're not advertising as a collective yet, but I've said to them all, they all have a short contract they sign. Um, at some point, if we grow, there might be an opportunity for us to advertise together. Right. You know, maybe I'll take a cut off of each one, yeah. um, and they'll get the bulk of it for their particular uh, publication. Right. But if I'm getting a cut every single day of the week, it adds up quick, right? That's beautiful. Um, and I think for, you know, we're restricted right now in cannabis, but with running, um, with yoga, with all kinds of fitness stuff, really, in general. Uh, and there's all kinds of other things, you know, science or whatever. There's really, really good podcasts out there. I know. They're be- being made in basements in Wisconsin or whatever. <laughs> and they're smart people with good personalities. Yeah. They need collectives. Yeah. You know, just like a lot of other companies have cooperatives, you know, because they're too small to fight with the big guys. Right. I agree. The you know the Joe Rogans, uh, the NYCs. The, there's a couple of big podcasts out there that are kind of slaughtering. Well, they're the exceptions, and, and they're well done. Right? Exactly. You can't, I can't knock any of them. I was no. just on Instagram today, and I uh, I saw that uh, Joe Rogan Plasticell had made a new. Um, a figurine for him, and so his dog Marshall. Okay. And so I went to Marshall's Instagram page. Two hundred four thousand followers. He does not have an Instagram page for his dog. He does. He does, and it's got two hundred four thousand dollars. Now there's a guy that's figured out <laughs> social media like nobody else. I'm shocked. But again, I think that he's figured out every like the flat earthers. There's things that he says in every single podcast that keeps it always rolling into. The, I agree. He's got a a good personality, but you can't deny that the fact that he was an actor, that he was the host of Fear Factor. Um, He already had millions of people who knew who he was when he started. He's also the UFC commentator. He's a stand-up comedian. And I mean, even his stand-up comedy, which I think is good, but don't tell me that it hasn't gotten more popular because of his podcast. All of it has. Yeah, it's a combined thing. And he may or may not directly work for the UFC when he's doing his podcast, but I guarantee you that the UFC is very happy about the fact that he has such a successful podcast and he always speaks well about the UFC and all the fighters and brings them in and everything. Yeah. Right? Come on. That's amazing. 
he he's I don't know what the right way to say this is, but it he's hit the bullseye. Like everything he does, he's got the minus touch. It uh, it just worked out perfectly that his yeah. being a comic and being a USC commentator and being a fighter and being yeah. a health nut and and really he is he's a, a guy's guy. Oh, for sure, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And, but uh, he's open minded, um, you know, and a lot of really well respected people come onto his show and and share really great ideas and and he's a good communicator. I mean, that's it. Yeah. So whatever. But it doesn't mean that there's not room for more. Right. I believe that there is. I totally agree. Um, yeah. I have a question for you, just being that you're in the cannabis industry or you're the investing. I'm uh, ancillary. Yeah, I'm, I'm very loosely involved. Okay. Cannabis media, you can call me. Right. Cannabis media. That, uh, you know who Paul, Dr. Paul Stamets is? Yeah. The he, mushroom guy. He just moved to Vancouver. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, maybe three or four months ago. So I have a theory that you know Canada obviously made uh, cannabis legal mm -hmm. across the country. Mm -hmm. um, they're looking at doing lots of studies out here now. Mm -hmm. um, psilocybin has been talked about. Yeah, and I see a lot of that. Why would Paul Stamets move from the state to Canada if there wasn't going to be more testing done? I think that Canada may legalize this sooner rather than later. You're talking about psilocybin, psilocybin, magic yeah. mushrooms. Yeah. They're legalizing it in, I think, Oregon, like, soon, if it, if it hasn't already been done. I think that in time, yeah, it, it's a possibility. I'm not sure if Paul Stamets moving to Vancouver had anything to do with, with his projection uh, or anticipation of Canada legalizing it. I'm not even sure that, that we're studying it very closely yet. Okay. You know, it's kind of like um, cannabis was such a restricted substance for so many years that even to this day, now that we're legal recreationally in some of the states in the U.S., are legal recreationally. Uh, most of the states in the US have a medical program, Canada has a medical program. Um, there's still not a lot of uh, real scientific data to back up claims. Most yeah. of it's anecdotal. Yeah. Um, there are companies now who that have materialized uh, based on that fact. Like a, a perfect example is a really well-respected company in Canada called Strain Print, and they've created a phone mm. database. Yeah. And if you are a consumer recreationally, I think actually they may only do medical. Um, you basically, you commit to using the app and filling in data every single time you consume cannabis. And mm. they're collecting it all, and yeah. they're sharing it and selling it to doctors and medical facilities and extraction companies and the large licensed producers and all that because the data is not there. So like right. they jumped in right away, let's make the data. We've got millions of users, uh, let's do it quickly, yeah. right? Um, so that's very my rough point from is, a testing standpoint, is just to collect, but you need to start somewhere. You gotta start somewhere. Yeah. And my point is with, with psilocybin, um, there's also no, no quality data on a large scale, yeah, if very, you know what I'm saying. very old, the data that's on it. It's from the 60s, um, yeah. uh, 50s and 60s, I think, and they were doing a lot of LSD studies back then at um, the U.S. University. Paul Stamets itself, I think, was involved in different types of studies that I mentioned. You know, I think, so. I think um, and this is a subject of maybe uh, another podcast, but um, I almost feel like when drugs are illegal, whether you are a proponent of them or not, um, it creates problems on its own. Yeah. You know, people do get addictions, um, and that's unfortunate, but when they can't treat them uh, medically, when they can't get help because all the drugs are illegal, and they're, yet they're on the street doing them, and they're basically ruining their lives over them, yeah. at some point you gotta go, well, what if it was just all legal, mm -hmm. and um, people were smarter about it and educated, and do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're addicted to heroin, but it's not illegal, and you can actually get access to it, you might actually be able to go to work, you might actually be able to have a place, um, it's a habit, like like drinking coffee or drinking beer. Right. 
Um, but if it's not illegal and you can't be thrown in jail for it and you can afford it with your salary, you can still kind of uh, be a, well, you can yeah. uh, be a member of society and still go to work. I think uh, Portugal had done uh, a lot of studies. They legalized Everything. every drug yep. there. And for like a decade now. They saw that there was a severe decrease in um, uh, crimes that were yep. based around drugs. So obviously the selling one you can't count. That, that of course that got reduced because now anyone's allowed to sell it. But yep. the violent crimes that were around there, they found the amount of use actually decreased. Mm -hmm. The people, so of all the stuff um, that they sold, they taxed. And that tax money went towards treatment. So yeah. anyone that felt that was out of control, they got treatment for it. And so it just was a lot healthier place to be. And I think they even have a really low age that people are allowed to do it. And yeah. they haven't really seen ill effects. No. And I think a lot of people would argue that that's dangerous to do. Mm -hmm. um, but if history shows that it works somewhere, it's probably going to work in other places too. Yeah. That, you know, if you brought that in, you know, with cannabis being legalized in Canada, I don't imagine the amount of people that did cannabis jumped a tremendous amount. You know, the numbers indicate that uh, there's not an increase significant increase of adults that are using legal cannabis yeah. um, as estimated and keep in mind when it's a black market a lot of the data that we have was <laughs> tough to estimates yeah. um, you know and and gangsters and black market individuals will continue to do things that are illegal and, and yeah. they'll shift from cannabis to whatever but I want to make a point actually and this is what people might want to know um, not everybody who was involved in cannabis before it was legalized are necessarily bad people okay? I agree. there's a lot of farmers there's a lot of people who grew it for med medical reasons. Um, some were business people, but a lot of business people who grew cannabis and distributed it um, were responsible about it and had kids. So um, these days, we're using the term legacy more than we are black market. So uh, we say legacy growers. Yeah. Like if you had a if you had a house and you were growing twenty plants and you were sharing it with a couple of friends and you were good to it and you're, you had a green thumb. Yeah. Um, we feel it's better to call some, that person a legacy grower. Um, they're part of the reason why. Um, we have so much technology, uh, so many great strains, so much uh, advantages uh, or advances in the cannabis plant these days because yeah. a lot of people put the time and effort into really learning about it, really learning growing techniques and stuff, Yeah. and they're not criminals, and they're not black market. Right. So yes, there are criminals, and yes, there are some people who do terrible things to cannabis, like put in really uh, toxic pesticides and stuff because they yeah. want to increase their yield and all that, and that's irresponsible. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, I don't use the term blankly, the black market before legalization, right. and I go, okay, well, who are we talking about here? I Joe Hippie from Vancouver <laughs> Island? He's more of a legacy guy. He was just yeah. into cannabis. Yeah. I, yeah. I went to high school with a girl that um, we used to hang at her parents' place. They were awesome. He was like one of the head executives for Volvo when it was in Vancouver. Yeah. Um, super nice guy. He had a little girl off in his backyard in a, in a greenhouse. Um, as teenagers, we didn't even really know what was going on back there. We, we weren't smokers back then, we didn't do yeah. it really. And then uh, one day, she was home by herself and the police showed up and arrested her. And uh, so she was 16, 17 years old. Yeah. And they confiscated the little greenhouse in the backyard and they, they took her to jail. And she got there, she's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This isn't mine, this is my dad's. And they're like, well, we'll call your dad. And the dad had to go down and admit that he was growing Otherwise pot. his own daughter was gonna get arrested. Exactly, and so, you know, I look back on it now and I think that must have really sucked. Here's a guy that, you know, ran a large corporation or was a big part of a large corporation, wasn't harming anyone in his neighborhood, wasn't doing no. anything bad. He was literally just growing a little bit for part, and maybe it was medical, I don't know. 
but he definitely, I never looked at him and go, oh, there's a pothead, or there's a stoner, or yeah. there's a, you know, a drag on society. It just wasn't there. No. Uh, those people deserve amnesty, I believe. Like, if you are guilty of greater crimes, maybe uh, distributing on a large scale, that sort of thing, yeah. um, okay, that, that might be an exception, but um, if you just grew a few plants and got caught, or you just had a little bit on you yeah. and got caught and you got a criminal record, I don't think that's fair. And I realize that the law is the law and it's black and white, yeah. um, and you could say, well, there's amnesty. There can't be amnesty because that was the law at the time right. um, but I really don't feel like people like that are, were criminals nor do I think that a lot of mm -hmm. casual uh, cannabis consumers these days are criminals or are doing negative things or are lazy or are all the cliches and stereotypes yeah. um, there's a lot of fully functional people who are intelligent who go to school um, who consume sometimes and that's fine yeah you know what I mean I uh, you know this is a from Joe Rogan podcast you probably heard this as well it's like why are we allowed to drive a car down the street and get a license for it but we're not allowed to smoke plants or eat a mushroom or, or whatever that is. Adults who should be able to make decisions. We could hurt way more people with our cars than we could well, by smoking. And let me add to that. Yeah. Look at all the pharmaceuticals that people get prescribed these days. Yeah. Um, some people are higher than a kite from stuff that their doctor gave them. Okay, uh, you're depressed, let me give you this, let me give you that, right? You had a glass of wine, bang, get behind the wheel of the car, legal. Yeah. Right, you have a, a puff of a joint, and I'm not saying to drive intoxicated. You no, shouldn't. No. Right. Um, but if let's say you have some in your system, you had some yesterday or last night, um, you can get uh, you you could potentially, in a worst case scenario, be tested and be charged for having too much THC right. in your blood. Right. Um, and that's where a real problem is, especially with uh, legal medicinal uh, cannabis users. Right. Um, at any given time, like right now, the um, they, they measure it in nanograms per milliliter. So um, right now, if, if you were to get a blood test, and by the way, uh, no one has in Canada yet. Okay. Okay. Um, and no one, last time I checked, I talked to a lawyer who's part of my collective, by the way. Um, she had said that at that time, no one had actually been tested street side yet either. The police are a little bit hesitant to use this device called the Draeger 5000 um, because everyone kind of knows that if you, if you fight it in court right now, you'll win. Because right. it's very arbitrary. The numbers are arbitrary. The machine doesn't work that well. It takes 10 minutes. doesn't work in the cold. There's all these, there's all these variables, right? Um, so nobody's really used it yet. Right. But according to the Cannabis Act, um, if you have two nanograms per milliliter in your blood, uh, right away you can get arrested. Okay? Right. If you have five, and then five you can get arrested, 25 you can go to jail. 25 nanograms per milliliter. So you yeah. say, well, what does that even mean? Right? How much is that if I smoke one joint? Will I be over? Okay, well, well, if it's fresh in your bloodstream, then most likely you will be. But to give you some comparisons, yeah. uh, Ross, what's the skier's name? Ross R Rabagliati, or oh, snowboarder? Yeah, yeah, snowboarder. Okay, so when he was caught in Nagano yeah. uh, with THC in his blood, yeah. he had 150 nanograms per milliliter. Oh, wow. Okay, so that has now become the Olympic standard. They've said, okay, well, since we let him get away with the gold medal, anyone caught with up to 150 can still compete in the Olympics. So yeah. then other professional sports leagues have said, let's do that as well, with the exception of baseball. Baseball's 50, okay? Yeah. But driving is two. Wow. So That's a lot a of people law. are saying, Which uh, you it doesn't, well, no, this law needs, it's important that people are safe, Yeah. but a lot of people who have been following the numbers have been saying, that number is kind of ridiculously low. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if, if they're trying to have a zero tolerance rule, like you can't be have like zero, rule. but if it's legal, yeah. yeah. And I smoked it last week, and it stays in your blood for thirty days, which it does. Yeah. Um, and I happen to be three nanograms per milliliter over. 
And you haven't uh, smoked anything. In I haven't smoked anything in a couple days, yeah. yet I can still get in trouble for it. it, it that, that's where the sort of ambiguous gray area is. You know, it, it's interesting because I didn't understand. I had a discussion with a police officer that I know about this, and mm -hmm. he's very anti-cannabis. Okay. He, he thought it was wrong. And he goes, there's no safe limit because it stays in your body for a long time. Um, I know as a youth uh, that I, I could smoke a joint and 20 minutes later, it felt pretty normal. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not, you're not wasting for a long period of time. Maybe if you eat it, you're two, three hours of, yeah. of being high, but you're not, you're not wasted. But I do know that if I have three beers in you know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes, mm -hmm. that makes you unable to drive. Yeah, there's a significant difference between um, consuming it via smoke or uh, a vaporizer, yeah. inhaling it, and eating it, though. Right. Uh, it's almost like you're taking a completely different drug. And eating it can be really powerful if you overdo it. And that's, uh, and here's another thing, is edibles uh, and oils and things of that nature will likely be legalized officially uh, on October 17, 2019. Yeah. So right now, up until, oh, actually any day now, um, there's a bit of debate going on about what should the legal limits be for edibles. Right. Okay. So you've got the rec market, the recreational, you've got the medical market. Right. Okay. And a lot of people who take it for medical reasons, let's say um, you have PTSD uh, or you have aches and pains and you, you claim it helps you and you have a prescription, yeah. um, they say, well, I need like 100, 200 milligrams to feel it and to feel the pain subside. Right. That's a lot. But for the recreational market, they're saying uh, no individual package can be more than 10. So wow. as a person, and I, again, I'm not a huge cannabis guy, but I've consumed enough to know kind of my, my limits. Yeah. I know that 10 makes me pretty intoxicated, but mm. I'm not a hardcore user. Yeah. So yeah. I think 5 or 10, yeah, I think that's a good number. Okay. But I think if you're medical, it's way too low. So you won't be able to go to a, a cannabis store yeah. if you're a medical patient because you won't want to buy 20 packages of something. <laughs> It'll be too expensive. Right. right. But if you're just Joe Blow, uh, it's Saturday and I want to watch a movie, I think it's, it's an acceptable amount. But that's just my opinion and everybody has a different experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, well, back to what we are saying that uh, uh, before was uh, I, I'm not opposed to legalizing everything you know, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Fentanyl is legal and it's killing five people a day in Florida. Crazy, yeah. Um, Florida alone, I think across the U.S., it's astronomical numbers of what mm -hmm. they're wiping out. It's almost like they're purposefully, I don't want to be a conspiracy guy, but like purposefully giving this out to minimize population. Maybe. It, it, it's crazy to me that fentanyl is legal and psilocybin isn't. Um, or, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, depending on the context and how it's how it's provided, but yeah, no, you're right. It, there's a lot of laws uh, in our society that are strange, honestly, and, yeah. and you know the prohibition of cannabis while you've got uh, legal alcohol makes zero sense to me. Right. You know, we all drank our whole lives and had parties and everything else and thrown up and done made stupid decisions. Yeah. And and I think it's far more damaging to drink twelve beer than it is to smoke half a joint. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I've never gotten a fight on cannabis, mm -hmm. um, but you give me a couple sips of tequila and I'm knocking somebody's ass yep, out, yep. It, it just affects me, it's like an allergy, you can't, I can't drink tequila. Yeah, it's and there's, there's conspiracy theories about that too, like the pharmaceutical industry uh, didn't want it around because they could make pharmaceutical drugs that they could sell to people and mm -hmm. they didn't want people discovering the healing benefits of cannabis, but you got to keep in mind though. Um, and you, you know, when you talk cannabis and healing and, and medical, right now the big, the big uh, flashy uh, 
cannabinoid that everybody's throwing around is CBD. Right. They're like, take CBD, it's great anti-inflammatory. Uh, it calms your nerves, it helps you sleep, it does everything, right? Yeah. And, and now I interview a lot of people and CBD comes up all the time. Right. And, I, and I interviewed scientists, I interviewed a psychiatrist last week, and I said, look, what's the deal with CBD? Because I want everybody's opinion. And, and the problem is that the data is not there, it's anecdotal. So everybody, like the psychiatrist has his own experience administering it to people. Um, a company that's making extracts has their own sort of spin on how good CBD is, because they want people to buy CBD, because they make extracts, right? <laughs> um, and, and I'm not sure that uh, CBD is gonna be around and it's gonna be a multi-billion dollar uh, industry. Um, but I'm not 100% convinced that it's good for everything all the time, like everyone's saying. Like I almost feel like it's it's the modern day snake oil a little bit. Yeah. You know, if it works for people, great. Yeah. But these days, I hear everybody taking it for everything. And I'm like, <laughs> and the other thing is, CBD to a large extent um, is unregulated in Canada and the U.S. So a lot of the CBD products that people are getting, yeah. uh, you don't really know where the source is. If it's uh, if it's hemp sourced, if it's cannabis sourced, you don't necessarily know the potency of it. If it's accurate or not, yeah. uh, you don't know how clean the oil is that it's in, and all that kind of stuff. So um, mm -hmm. that needs to be regulated. Yeah, it, you know, and the studies need to be need to be there with the real. Uh, tangible data yeah. before we can say for sure or not what it's good for and it's not. Well, you know, I look at it like this, that not, you know, people say that keto is the best diet. Mm -hmm. For some people, you know, uh, lots of people say it's safe to drink tequila. It's yeah. not safe to give me tequila. Yeah. Right? There, there's all these things that you can say are good for the 80% the or the 90%, but what about the 10%, right? SSRIs don't work for everybody. Yeah. The, and a placebo test, they got the exact same results, whether they took placebo or whether they took the SSRI. Yeah. Um, you know, was it, I don't know how the test went down, but you can't say that one thing is the cure-all. You know, locally we have some people on um, social media that just are really pumping up uh, cannabis and, and all the products that come from it. Yeah. And that's okay, they're allowed to do that, it's good, but they can't go around telling everybody it's going to cure your depression, it's going to cure your eggs and pains, yeah. it's going to, that's really, really silly to think that it's the one cure-all that that's going to cure cancer. Yeah, it might cure some, in yeah. some people, yeah. but if you drop uh, cannabis or THC onto um, uh, a tumor, that not all of them are going to shrink. Don't give people false hopes. Well, yeah, you know, it, it's a huge subject. Like, you can say... Uh, a lot of people are out there making a lot of claims without real evidence. But uh, at the same time, if you didn't have people who were proponents of cannabis for the last five decades, uh, it probably wouldn't be legal now either. Like you, you do need people out there shouting from the rooftops. Um, and it may not heal everything, but I mean, even if it's a placebo effect, um, you know, that's fine. One thing that I, that I will say about cannabis, like traditionally the... The cliche things about cannabis that people have always said, oh, that's what it's bad for. It makes you lazy. It makes you eat bags <laughs> and chips, all that, right? Um, the spin on it now is people are saying, well, actually, um, it helps me to relax. It helps to stimulate my appetite. It helps me to sleep, Pretty right? Easy. So it depends on uh, your perspective of it. Yeah. And, and I think, true, it does actually help you relax. Now, maybe to a fault, it makes you sometimes overly complacent. In my, in my experience, yeah. if I consume too much, I don't get much done. Okay. And you can say, well, you're relaxing. It's good for you. Okay, but I also want to be productive. <laughs> um, so I have to pick day. and choose when I do it and how yeah. much. And I want to get it out of my system during the week because I want to be productive. Yeah. And that's me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the medical benefits that people are going on about, I think it just depends on 
how you look at it yeah. and what it's doing for you. Yeah. If you need to sleep and it helps you sleep, then great. Right. It doesn't mean you're a pothead. I uh, listened to a podcast, pretty sure it was Joe Rogan, he was talking about a sleep expert and, mm -hmm. and how um, cannabis actually wrecks your sleep. You may feel like you're sleeping, but you're not hitting the RAM or the deep sleep that you need to try yeah. it. So and again, probably it, it's not true for some people, mm -hmm. and it is for a lot of other people. Uh, my wife um, had a medical prescription and she got um, a CBD THC oil from, um, uh, what company was it now? I forget, MedRelief. And uh, I said, okay, when I, I want to have a tiny bit, you take like um, three milliliters, just whatever, measure it, because what's your prescription? I'll take the exact same thing, it's supposed to help her sleep. Yeah. Uh, and my mind raced like crazy <laughs> that night. I couldn't sleep like three in the morning. I was like, oh, every thought. I was like, okay, well, clearly the THC <laughs> is keeping my brain just motoring. Right. So yeah. again, different strokes for different folks, you need to figure out what works for you. Mm -hmm. And that's why they have applications like that strain print company, because they're trying to figure out yeah. If this is the one strain with the right cannabinoids, with the right terpenes that everyone is saying knocks them out at night, yeah. at least that database is going to collect the information faster than a lot of universities are going to be able to do it over extended periods of time. They need to hook up with like Ancestry.ca and 23andMe and mix out the testing with the genealogy and, uh, right? And so, I mean, I know Amazon's moving out with food as they'll, they'll test your... Um, uh, your genes and then they'll say oh this is what you need to be eating at this time they have a goal long term to be able to ship really eh? I've heard rumors of this coming up where uh, there won't be grocery stores anymore they'll just ship food that you need based on your blood type and, and whatever so if they can test ethnic background ethnic background um, you know I did mm. the uh, the ancestry.ca that'll never fly by the way yeah, I think eventually it will. People will always want to choose their cuisine, what they eat. Nobody's going to ever say, I'll let, I'll let science and Amazon tell me what to eat. Think of the, the scientific or the science movies, the um, Star Treks and that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they had a lot of those types of um, uh, premises in their shows. Well, no one's going to tell you that a, a chocolate cake is good for you, but on a Friday night after you've had a few drinks, you might want a piece of chocolate cake. And what if Amazon says, no, that doesn't fit with your ancestral profile. There's right. no chocolate cake. Yeah, well, there'll be uh, backyard <laughs> chocolate cake makers. Right, so then you'll make your own chocolate cake, except for you'll get arrested for it and lose your job. Exactly. They'll arrest your daughter and you'll have to go down and tell them that you actually made it. That's right. That was my doctor's <laughs> chocolate cake, not my 14-year-old. That's right. You know what's interesting about the, the testing there was that uh, they asked me two things that kind of got me concerned. One, can we share your information? And I said, no. Mm -hmm. Two, do you want to know what diseases you're susceptible to? And so from your genetic testing, they can say you're more susceptible to get you know, Parkinson's or cancer mm -hmm. or, or whatever in, in your older age. And uh, I don't know if you remember the stories of um, Cyclops, um, that uh, their curse was they knew what their end was. The time, the day, everything about it, they yeah. knew how they were going to die. Okay. And that's why they're big, grumpy, over type people is because... I felt the same way. Like if someone told me, like, oh, you're going to get cancer about this age. So you didn't do it? I didn't do it. Like, I, I just want to know where I'm from. I think you're crazy. I did ancestry.com as well. Okay. I don't remember being given the option of uh, them uh, implying what you might be susceptible to. Maybe it's um, newer. But I did leave it open to uh, connecting me with other people. I figured that I'm idea. one of these people who online, I don't hide my identity. No. I mean, you know, like <laughs> my dad, you know, he has like three firewalls and he always tweaks with his <laughs> Wi-Fi. He's like, no one's going to get into mine. I'm like, dad, no one cares about your computer. No one cares. Uh, and, and, you know, same thing for me online. I'm like, 
I am who I am. I'm not a bad person. I don't do illegal activities. Um, I don't mind if my name goes into a database. I'm actually curious. And I've found some third and fourth cousins in the U.S. and things. And, you know, I'm not going to reach out to them, but it's still neat to see. I'm 100% on board with you. I worked with this guy. He used to tape over his um, camera on his laptop yeah. and his phone. And, and You haven't seen the Edward Snowden movie? I haven't, no. Uh-huh. But see? I don't care. Like, if you want to see my bank account, you're well, going to see that anyway. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that stuff that people are trying to hide, they already know. They they 100% know what we're doing, how we're spending our money, what we're eating. Even by uh, habits and stuff online and all that. Uh, you, being in the media industry, you probably know about those little black boxes you can wear. They look like little pagers where they track all the media you yep. listen to. Yep. Yep. I wore one of those for like you did it. four years. And some people were like really upset. Like, you, you shouldn't be bringing that into my house. Well, that was traditionally the way that they figured out who the top radio stations were in every market, right? Right. Um, it would literally, um, y- y- they put a transponder in your server room, there's so many things to talk about, yeah. and, and, it, and it emits a very high frequency signal. It's above the human hearing range. Okay, so, so all you're talking about in the radio yeah. station. Yeah. yeah. So um, you'd never know it's there, yeah. but the, the receiver can pick it up and it knows that you're listening to that particular frequency, it's their fourth best station. And it's not just that you're listening to it, they want to measure how much you're exposed to it. So if you step into a cab for a minute and he's playing, I don't know, AM660 yeah. and you're not even paying attention, it still says, well, you had a minute of AM660 exposure. Right. So that goes towards their listenership data, if that makes sense. That and that, those things mean a lot to a lot of people because, um, you know, they come up orderly. And if your radio station is one of the top three, you can sell pricier ads, essentially. That boils yeah, down. Yeah, and, and it, I'm happy to be part of that. Like, I'm not even, I don't even listen to radio. I haven't in probably 10 years. Yeah. It's just, uh, that's not who I've I only listen to my station. And <laughs> it's because it's, I work. But otherwise, no one picks the right music for me. Right. I do listen to talk radio a bit. Yeah. But podcasts are the way to go. Honestly, okay, I take that back. I listen to the, uh, was it 1060, the comedy, um, uh, yeah. Comedy station. Yeah. I listen to stand-up comedy. Uh, if I'm having a bad day or I got in a fight and I go to a sales call, I'm getting a good mood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sales call. No, I, yeah, I can appreciate so that. So that's the only thing. Other than that, I want to pick everything that's going in. So it's I like getting local information, and I think you know, um, as a radio person, also a podcaster, but as a traditional radio person, um, that's the one reason why. Uh, there's still a bit of a need for radio, and that is because you can't get local content through podcasts. You can't right. find out the flame score and get interviews from the flames. You can't get uh, air dree traffic and weather when you want to know if the Deerfoot's clogged. You're not going to get that from Joe Rogan. Right. Right? Music, I would move away from that. And I'm, I'm encouraging even our company to start doing more talk programming because it's more relevant to people. Right. And it's harder to get that content anywhere else, especially if it's local and it pertains to your particular demographic group and all that stuff. Right, right. You know. Man, I think we probably should go on for hours. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. You need to install toilets in here. So you just, <laughs> you just go to the bathroom while we're talking. Two cans of Evia down. If you're okay, I think uh, we'll, we'll call her quits yeah, no for problem. tonight. And I'd love to have you back again. Um, I will link all of your social media stuff to the, the podcast. Please if you do. Want to tell them uh, where they can find you. Yeah, you ever see that uh, show where they eat the chicken wings? And he's like, now's your chance. And that camera, or that camera, or that camera. <laughs> yeah. um, the one thing I would say about my podcast um, for people is, uh, firstly, 
if you're not a cannabis person, uh, my podcast is pretty safe. Like it's very, very balanced. I, I talk to people who are for and against it. I don't have a cannabis agenda. I don't push it. Yeah. I ask a lot of really basic entry-level questions because I'm curious. I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself a broadcaster who's curious and has access to interesting people who can tell you how the industry works. So awesome. and, you know, in the case of my mom, uh, who is absolutely embarrassed about it, I would say, mom, it's only talking to business people and and you know people who are in you know in that framework yeah. who can explain how it works and why it's relevant to Canadians and that's my only intention. So Beautiful. if you're curious, it's a good podcast for that reason. I don't pound it down people's throats. Yeah. Um, so Canadian Cannabis Update is my podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's now being published though within the collective. So it's called the Cannabis Media collective and in that collective I have one podcast it's a pharmacist and a nurse and they talk about medical cannabis they don't push it they just talk about their realities in Canada yeah uh, I have a lawyer who talks about uh, driving law with nice. cannabis and in cannabis related laws yeah uh, and she always brings in politicians and interesting people yeah, um, cool. there's myself I have two guys who do uh, cannabis investments one has a radio show out of Vancouver and he's joined our collective one guy's out of Lethbridge and he's also a radio person yeah um, I've got a few more and you know what it's all people like that yeah you know our agenda is not to push cannabis down people's throats it's we're curious about it we're podcasters and uh, we're looking for great content all the time that's it Beautiful. I love it I love the honesty in it and I love what you guys do I will uh, put all those links up and everyone thank you for listening thank you for sharing mm-hmm. thank you for helping grow uh, my podcast and everyone else that's on the show it's a pleasure man and now I've got to try to shut down both uh, <laughs> your video and your audio. There we go. And stop. You good?